Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 69 of the Australian Hiker podcast and the first of two bonus episodes for the month of June 2018. Over the last three days, we attended the Outdoor Retailer Association show in Sydney and had an opportunity to talk to manufacturers and distributors of outdoor gear about what's, what's going on in the market at the moment as far as, and as well as what equipment is going to be coming onto the market in the next six to nine months. Uh, and while some of this gear is not available just yet, I must admit I got pretty excited about some of the stuff that we saw. Uh, and we're going to be talking to uh, the manufacturers and distributors about what's coming up. So these interviews uh, will hopefully give you a, a bit of an overview of where the industry is heading equipment-wise uh, and te- provide a bit of a teaser for some of the really spectacular gear that you can be adding to your kit uh, in the coming six months or so. We hope you enjoy. Okay, good morning. We're here at the Outdoor Retailer Australia show in Sydney, uh, and I'm just doing the first interview of the day, and it's with AJ from Campers Pantry. So good morning, AJ. G'day, Tim. How are you going? Good, good. Now, for many of you that are aware that AJ and, and Campus Pantry, the name's pretty self-explanatory. We've gone through and reviewed um, their product as it existed um, on our website over the last few months. And it's a range of outdoor freeze-dried meals um, uh, that's new to the market and competing with, uh, well, in fact, not even competing with what's already there. It's supplementing and providing a different size and also providing a different range to give uh, hikers and outdoor enthusiasts a bit of choice. So what's what's new for this year AJ? So Tim we've got um, we've got some new lunch options. Um, there's three cold water tuna uh, options there. 300 ml of cold water stir and serve on crackers. Um, we're going to be launching those in uh, in less than a month and we've also got uh, three breakfast options. We've got two oats um, and we've also got a yogurt berry powder. So if you just want to take your own quick oats and um, and mix some, um, some of this powder through, um, we'll be doing that. And we've got uh, in the veggie and pantry range, we've got red onions, uh, penne pasta and white rice coming through. Uh, we've got a new cauliflower and pea dal um, coming through in the dinner range. And then we're also going to be launching um, ice creams and marshmallows into the um, dessert and snack range. And we'll also have apple, banana and pear coming through. So we'll have a, um, we've got a total of around 36 products um, for retail now. Um, yeah, all with the same Aussie produce and, um, and made in Australia. All right, no, that's good. It's, um, as, as I said, we've gone through and reviewed the existing product that's been on the market. We've been quite pleased with that. And certainly uh, in my upcoming Bibbleman uh, track hike, there'll be a number of these products that I'll be using on uh, on my trip. Uh, and I must admit, something that's a, a bit of a, uh, an interest, uh, AJ has just uh, shown me a freeze-dried McDonald's quarter pounder. So I'll put a poster of a photo of that up on the on the show notes uh, for everyone to have a look at. Um, and I think we, well, I think I get to do a taste test later on. So it'll be interesting to see what that's like. AJ assures me that freeze drying doesn't change the taste; it just reduces the weight. Okay. Um, and um, so where where to with Campers Pantry over the next twelve months? So you're releasing all this new product. Uh, where do you see uh, the range going next year? Uh, Tim, so being a small company and um, not quite two years old, um, we can we can use feedback that customers are giving us um, to change our range and, and add to it, um, which we've done. Um, we launched with the veggies a year ago, uh, two years ago thereabouts, and um, everyone wanted Australian-made meals. Um, we've come out with that, and everyone's pretty stoked with that. So we'll just keep um, keep ticking a few boxes and and listening to our customers and, and what they're after. 
All right. Thanks very much. So that was AJ's from Campers Pantry. Uh, and as, as I said, the, uh, we'll have the photos uh, as well as uh, uh, images of the product up online. And I'll be reviewing the newer product as I get a chance over the next couple of months. Thanks a lot, AJ. No worries, Tim. Thank you. As mentioned, I'll be taking some of this product uh, with me on my Bibbulmun track hike uh, starting in August. Um, and um, AJ was uh, good enough to give me a bit of a uh, some uh, a teaser or a bit of a uh, some sample packs to try, which we'll go through and review over the next few weeks. Um, I did mention there that we uh, we had an opportunity to have a look at and try a freeze dried McDonald's. Uh, 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 quarter pounder. Uh, I must admit it tasted like a quarter pounder you would expect. Probably a bit too much bread, uh, but it was interesting. I mean, basically, AJ was saying that pretty much anything food-wise you want to freeze-dry, you pretty much can. Uh, so I think we're going to see some very interesting products coming out on the market in the next uh, next couple of years, uh, and certainly um, uh, giving the, the some of the samples of the snacks that AJ had to try at the show, uh, I was pretty impressed. So we look forward to trying those out in the next few weeks. All right, it's Monday afternoon. Uh, we're talking to Will from Mont Adventure Equipment. Uh, and for those of you that live in Canberra, you'll know Mont quite well. They're a, a store that's been around for many years as an outdoor store, outdoor specialist. Uh, and for those of you that are living in a state, you're progressively seeing more and more of their equipment being sold in a number of outdoor stores. And they're well known for a, a number of pieces of equipment, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. So welcome to the podcast, Will. Thank you, Tim. Glad to be here. Okay, so tell us a bit about Mont uh, Adventure Equipment. Where did it start off and what is, it, what is it doing now? Mont Adventure Equipment was started in 1981 by a man named Andrew Montgomery. He's still the acting director and CEO and head product designer of all Mont Equipment. Uh, he was a young young fella in, living in Canberra just out of university. He needed outdoor gear that worked, particularly particularly sleeping bag, tent and down jacket. He was big into mountaineering, big into backcountry skiing. He found that the gear available was, one, very expensive, and two, not good enough for what he wanted to do. So he borrowed a, he borrowed a, um, a sewing machine and made a sleeping bag and down jacket. Uh, friends were impressed and started making things for friends, and within a couple of years he had huge demand. So that started in 78, and by 81, Mont Adventure Equipment was formed. Okay. So you've got the, the retail in Canberra, and I believe that's, that's also your warehouse as well, is it? Or We've got a flagship retail store in Canberra. Beside that, we've got the head office where all design uh, takes place, and then behind those two places is the warehouse where all stock is held and distributed around Australia and New Zealand from. All right, and what, so what, what equipment does Mont uh, manufacture and sell? We make a complete clothing range for the outdoors from baseline layers to lifestyle and adventure clothing to fleece insulation and shellwear uh, for bushwalking, mountaineering, cycling, mountain biking and general adventure sports. We make uh, backpacks, day packs, top loading packs and travel packs. Uh, we make tents for one, two and three people for three seasons, four seasons and expedition use. And uh, our core product line is sleeping bags, down sleeping bags for ultra-lightweight bushwalkers, for backcountry skiers, and for expedition use in extreme cold. Okay, and for most of you, most of the people listening to this will be aware that both Jill and I both own a Mont sleeping bag. Um, they are very warm, very durable bags, so um, you know, more than happy to sort of go through and recommend them because they really are very good bags. Um, okay, so over the last 12 months, so there's been a couple of things that have come out of Mont which people may or may not be aware of. One, I suppose, is the, the Zero sleeping bags. Tell us a bit about those. So the Zero sleeping bags were made because of the market demand at the moment for ultra lightweight. We thought we want to make a sleeping bag that is sub 300 grams. So we've used the world's lightest downproof nylon, which is 20 grams per square metre. It's a sleeping bag with 158 grams of down and it weighs 300 grams total weight. It fits inside a one litre bottle 
and it's uh, appropriate for temperatures down to 10 degrees for a warm sleeper. So yes, it is a spring-summer sleeping bag, but it is also an excellent booster for existing sleeping bags, down being the most warmth-to-weight efficient insulator. Um, you cannot get a, a liner that is more efficient than a down another down sleeping bag. All right. Um, now, then there's also a, a, a second model of the Zero bags. There's a, a heavier weight version? There is. There's the Zero SL. SL is for super light as opposed to ultra light. Uh, the super light is appropriate for temperatures down to two degrees for a warm sleeper, but we've had many customers and uh, friends of the Mont brand report that they've used it below zero and have uh, been very comfortable. Okay. Um, and there's, I must admit, there is quite a range of Mont bags. There's things that look like they quite comfortably will do Everest. Um, Certainly. Uh, Certainly. Uh, down to the zero bags, which are, tend to be lighter weight, and also a couple of synthetic bags as well. So for those people that want uh, synthetic bags rather than down bags, there are a couple available there as well, I believe. Yeah, we we service the entire sleeping bag market, uh, all with high-quality product. There are customers that obviously don't want down. One, they might not uh, want to pay that sort of money. Uh, two, they might have an ethical issue with down. Or three, they may be allergic to down. So the synthetic sleeping bag range is still very, very warm um, and is appropriate for temperatures down to minus six degrees. On the topic of ethical down, I will just um, just say that all Mont Down is ethically sourced, and it's it's got a rating that's very similar to the RDS certification, um, a, little, a lesser known one, CFDIA. But we will be transitioning to RDS because it is a much better known and widely acknowledged uh, ethical rating. Yeah. All right. Um, actually, I suppose on that topic, then since we're talking about it, people often wonder about what is ethical down. So can you, you're able to tell me a bit more about that? Uh, certainly. The ethical down is down that is not sourced from live plucking. So there is some down out there that has been sourced from live plucking. As far as we know, it is very rare. And uh, But in saying that, even if it is rare, it is something that we don't want in our bags because it is obviously... Um, a horrible practice um, that's something that Mont does not stand for and uh, has ensured that we don't use that and that's been the case for many years now. Alright, so moving on from the sleeping bags then Mont also does a range of tents uh, what can you tell us about the Mont tents? Uh, Mont tents are available in sizes for 1, 2 and 3 people. We've got the ultra lightweight Moon Dance 1 tent is 1.53 kilos it's a 3 season 1 person tent our best-selling tent is the Moondance 2. Uh, it's a two-person tent that weighs 1.93 kilos. It's got a 10,000-millimeter laminated waterproof floor, which is market-leading. It's a three-season freestanding tent uh, and has, has been a bestseller in the Mont range for years. It, it comes out. New iterations are released about once a year, and with every new iteration, uh, it's improved in terms of weight, performance, ease of setup, and um, packability. Okay. All right, so moving on from there, we've also got the Mont Pack. So uh, what's uh, they're, they're an Australian pack. Uh, so what's, what's different about the Mont Packs from, from everything else that's out on market? Mont manufactured canvas packs. We've manufactured canvas packs for a long time for several reasons. Their durability, their long lasting and their water resistance. So we use an Australian made canvas that's got a wax based polymer in it. Uh, when canvas gets wet the fibres expand um, closing off any gaps and the fabric becomes more resistant to water again. So Canvas Pack also offers uh, much better uh, carriage than lightweight nylon packs because of the stability that the canvas offers. So a canvas pack uh, with a good harness on it, like the Mont harnesses, is appropriate for weights of 30 kilos and over if you're so inclined. But um, the durability and lifespan of a canvas pack is second to none. 
and they come in a range of sizes as well? They do. We make canvas packs in sizes from 20-litre day packs right through to 85-litre expedition packs. Okay. Um, so apart from the big three, so we've talked about sleeping bags, tents and, um, uh, and packs, uh, Mott also does a range of, uh, of clothing and, and layering. So tell us a bit about that. Mont's clothing story began with down jackets and our down jacket offering is excellent. We've got expedition jackets being the icicle, appropriate for extreme cold and base camp conditions. And then we've got the high altitude down jacket which is for attempts on uh, the world's highest peaks. We've got uh, down jackets in more functional weights for everyday use and for adventure in general cold weather areas. And being from Canberra, we find that staff at the Mod office utilise these down jackets quite frequently. Uh, we've got a comprehensive shellwear range for uh, bushwalking, uh, for alpine use, for climbing, and for everyday or travel use. Uh, a lot of these ra- rain ca- uh, jackets are in three-quarter length uh, styles, so halfway down the thigh to provide excellent coverage um, and good protection from the elements. Uh, we've got a fleece range that is... Um, we've got, we use Polytech fabrics almost universally across our fleece range because of their durability, performance, weight and um, range of different fleece types for different applications. We've got um, bushwalking shirts that offer excellent UV resistance, quick drying, uh, lightweight and very durable. We've got pants for travel that are very comfortable, have deep pockets and zipper pockets for security. We've got bushwalking shorts uh, that are made from uh, extremely durable fabrics Um, and we've got base layers to keep moisture off your skin, uh, keep you warmer and drier in cold conditions, particularly uh, doing high intensity activities like uh, mountaineering, skiing or uh, hiking. Alright, so um, what we'll go through and do, we uh, as I said, people who live in Canberra tend to know Mont fairly well, it's uh, it's fairly accessible, we can just drive down there Uh, they've also got an online store as well that's available for people to have a look at the product Uh, and a number of stores around Australia are stocking the Mont product I believe so um, it may be that if you don't live in Canberra you've still got access to the Mont product. Mont's available in many independent outdoor retailers around the country and all major CBDs and uh, if you'd like to know more about where you can get Mont feel free to call uh, Mont and we'd be more than happy to help you out. Alright, not a problem. Okay, so we've been talking to Will Leeson from Mont Adventure Equipment um, well, I'll go through and uh, as, as with, with all my interviews I'll be going through and putting some photos up of some of the product as well as the links to the Mont website just so you can see what product's available. Um, I've always been a fan of Mont, I, uh, I own a, a bit of Mont equipment, uh, more than happy to recommend it as well so thanks very much for that will much appreciated thank you jim it was a pleasure so that was our interview with mont uh they are very much so a a premium product they're not not the cheapest product on the market but without a doubt they're probably one of the best quality products on the market so have a look at their website see what they've got on offer go into your local store and uh, and see what they're selling uh there's some very very good gear coming out of mont Okay, I'm here with Cedar Summit uh, Distributors Australia, and they're a well-known company that many Australians will be familiar with. Uh, quite often, it's for a lot of their accessories, but it's also amazing the amount of product that's within the outdoor industry that Cedar Summit actually distribute. So we're going to talk to two of the staff from Cedar Summit, and first off, we've got Ross, uh, who's the assistant brand manager. Uh, we're going to talk to Ross about sleeping bags and the direction that Cedar Summit is heading with the sleeping bags over the next 12 months. How are you going, Ross? Very good. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, so we've got uh, sleeping bags on show here, which will be launching to the Australian public uh, in March 2019. We first launched sleeping bags nearly 10 years ago. Um, we launched four models. Since then, we've added more to the range, tweaked what we've had, um, and sort of plugged gaps to create a range that uh, that everybody sees today. We wanted to take a step back, reassess what we've got, create a bit more of a design story about it, and uh, what we've got here and people have been uh, been seeing and, and talking about is uh, for next year. 
with nine years worth of sales experience and, and we're talking globally here not just in Australia we know what works well we understand what the customer wants and we've managed to tidy up our range and, and focus on two key components or two key uh, key headings first being technical performance using ultralight fabrics and, and technologies and also comfort and versatility which is ever so important in the outdoors you need to be comfortable it doesn't matter how light your sleeping mat is it needs to be comfortable those two headings feature in, in every single model that we've got coming through next year in the nine years that we've been doing sleeping bags we've had a lot of technologies we talk about fill ratios making sure there's more down where you need it differential cuts making sure that how we construct the bag allows the down to do what it needs to do um, things like internal draw cords and dw and uh, ultra dry down um, down that's uh, protected from moisture they still stay the same and they're throughout the bags even into next year for next year we've added other construction techniques um, to improve that technical performance as well as that comfort and versatility so we've been showcasing here our new free flow zip system which means gives a user the ability to read a book and sit up in their tent and their sleeping bag will follow them we've looked at the fit and sizing of our bags um, increased those for comfort where needed for example our, our alpine bag for high-end expeditions now has more room so that people can wear clothing inside and uh, also our spark bags our ultralight bags where comfort is still important we've made them wider the other things we've updated is fabrics we do a lot of development of fabrics ourselves we don't just buy them off the shelf we've got lighter weight fabrics uh, more breathable fabrics and we've applied these in the bags where they're needed We've constructed a new range this year, which also gives our female bags more identity. We've got they've got their own name, and we're acknowledging the fact that half the users out there are females, and uh, they need their own bags too, uh, with more insulation where it needs it, and better fi better fit and sizing. So yeah, that's constructed the the 2019 range for uh, for next year. We're excited to release it to uh, to everyone. All right, no, it's good. It's um. It's quite interesting. I mean, they've got some um, some bags on show here today, and they said, while the colours, uh, well, well, Ross was saying, while the colours aren't necessarily exactly as they'll be, they've got some very impressive features on them. So it's a, it's going to be well worth wait, uh, looking at uh, March onwards next year when these new bags hit the market. There, I think they'll uh, they'll do very well in the market because they've got a lot of excellent features. So thanks very much for that, Ross. Much appreciated. Pleasure. Okay, so now we've got Danny from Cedar Summit, uh, and we're going to talk about a few of the other products that we've got uh, they've got coming up over the next uh, uh, next 12 months. Uh, and the first thing we're going to go through and look at is the Etherlite uh, lightweight sleeping mats, which are going to be coming out in March next year. So thank you for talking to us, Danny. Thanks. Nice to be here. Okay, so what? Tell us about the the Etherlite. What what is it, and why why did you bring this one onto the market? Sure, absolutely. Uh, in our air mat story. We saw a lot of the volume coming from our light, ultralight match, uh, the yellow and the orange one, if you're familiar with the range. People wanted things that were lightweight and warm. So the extension to that was to look at a way to make sure that we can improve this. And one of the biggest ones was uh, getting in that comfort factor. So what we've developed is a 10 centimetre thick lightweight mat that's just as warm but lighter than the ultralight mat and we're calling it the ethylite xt xt standing for extra thick how we've done this is we've used a 34 3040 d nylon fabric uh, then we've created a loop baffle tpu system which basically creates a 10 centimeter thick air chamber um, we've allowed room for insulation as well uh, to create this extra thick mat using our current um, dot welding technology. Uh, so now that's coming. That's coming in two uh, types. Basically, you've got the um, the the uh, insulated and the non-insulated varieties. Correct. So the uh, and the main difference, from what I can see, looking at the brochure through here, is more in the R value, and I'm guessing that would possibly equate to the weight of the the mat as well. Correct. A lot of the weight comes in with that insulation layer that comes through. Uh, if you really are after an ultralight uh, camping mat that's super thick, super comfortable, uh, then the Ethylite is. The, the 
absolute pinnacle. Uh, obviously, when you're going somewhere where you do need a bit of insulation, that's what what's going to add both warmth, but it also adds weight and size as a compromise. Again, both being lighter than our current range, though, so it's a it's a really amazing product. Um, the third one in the range is we're coming out with a women's version as well, which is both warmer. Uh, the sizing is also different as well, so it's it's wider around the hips as well. So uh, great for some uh, heavy set, shorter gentlemen as well. <laughs> And looking at looking at the uh, the, the, the upcoming catalogue here, we've got um, looking around about three hundred and forty grams for uh, that one. Um, again, not a not a huge R value, but as you say, if you're looking for a uh, a really ultra light mat, this is this is going to be uh, uh, pushed into the market. And I'm guessing it's probably going to be cheaper than some of the uh, some of the more internationally known brands, or or not. Uh, I just suppose it depends on where you're shopping, doesn't That's it? True. That is, that is <laughs> true. Yeah, look, being an Australian brand, we yeah, know the market and, and it is positioned comparable and it fits inside our range. So at the moment, uh, it sits uh, more expensive than the Comfort Light. Um, so it's about you're looking at about a $300 mat. I must admit, I had a chop opportunity to lie on one of the ones here, and unlike a lot of the ultralight mats that are on the market, there's virtually no noise with this, so you're not getting that, that crinkling cellophane sort of sound that tends to drive a lot of campers insane. So I think it's uh, I think it's going to do very well on the market. Yeah, and the other be- the, the core benefit, especially for me, being I'm a side sleeper, you can actually sleep on your side and not get either a, a numb arm and wake up yourself up with a dead arm or sore hips in the morning. So it's a really fantastic rate. I, one thing I did find also with this mat as well, I mean, quite often when you bounce up and down when you're sleeping on the sides, you tend to hit bottom with the, your hip bone. Uh, this one didn't, so it's it's just the right amount of padding, particularly for for me who's just on 100 kilos. It's uh, uh, it works well. Okay, from there, um, so we've gone away, uh, we're still on the sleeping side of things. We're going to look at the new range of pillows that Sea the Summit's going through and bringing out. Uh, and I must admit, I haven't been a big pillow user, but I think uh, I know a lot of people do tend to use pillows, and there's some very exciting looking pillows coming onto the market from Sea to Summit. So, what have we got in the way of pillows coming up? Perfect. Uh, well, the first one that we're launching is, I'm going to go discussing, is the foam core pillow. Uh, we've used the offcuts off our self-inflating mats. Uh, this obviously the self-inflating mats. We've been removing core from the mats, which has provided obviously this excess of, of foam that we've now put into a pillow. Um, these are super comfortable pillows. They're a better price point than our current uh, normal ranged Eros pillows. Uh, a really, really just generally comfortable mat uh, pillow. The pillow lock uh, system as well. So. What we've developed is a really micro Velcro. It's not abrasive to touch, but it holds onto this special fabric that we've used on the underside of the pillow. So we use this to then wrap the pillow to then hold itself together, uh, to for obviously for storage, and that comes with a little handy pouch as well to hide hide your eye mask and your, your headphones and whatever else you want to hide while you're asleep. And this pillow lock uh, Velcro is also going to come out with all of our mats, which effectively means if you've ever slept on one of our mats and rolled over and suddenly your pillow's gone flying off into the night into the tent, this locks it into place. Alternative to that is that you can lift it off the mat easily enough uh, to, to yeah, without getting scratched or... And I must admit, now, for me, as I said, I tend to use a, um, a small dry bag with clothing and it does tend to slide off every so often and you've got to go and retrieve it in the middle of the night, so I think that's a, a very good idea. Okay, so moving on from the, the, the foam core pillows, we've got the Eros down pillow. Yes, that's correct. So what we've got here is uh, an air bladder and then we've got a foam... uh, sorry, down-filled pockets uh, using our Spark sleeping bag fabric. So you can kind of see that translucent down underneath the pillow. Just provides a really nice, uh, you know, feel and touch for the actual pillow. Provides a bit of extra warmth. Um, people go, you know, love their down pillows at home. So this provides that compromise between an air pillow and a down pillow, um, and a little bit of extra warmth as well. Being that obviously we're using down. 
Okay, so that's it for the pillow range? Uh, the only other one would be that we're coming out with pillow cases that have that pillow lock technology. And again, if you're an ultralight hiker like yourself using you know clothing to hike with, you can then stuff this into into this as a pillowcase and you've actually got a nicer, nicer touch and feel to sleep on than, than your clothing. Okay, so the next product we're going to go on through now, look at, is a new range of towels, which I must admit, I, uh, I mean, everyone needs a towel of some sort, and it's always a matter of, you, know, you want something that's going to do the job, but not take up a huge amount of room. So the towels that we looked at today really were impressive. These things are tiny. Uh, <laughs> very, very <laughs> tiny. So if, if you know our tech towel, that's where we started. Then we came out with the pocket towel and the dry light towel, the pocket towel being really quite small. Uh, if you can imagine the smallest pocket towel, that is bigger than the entire range of, of our new air light towels. So the extra large air light towel is smaller than the the size of the small pocket towel. It's also 40% lighter across the board. So a really lightweight, quick drying towel uh, for those sort of expeditions and pieces where you're not necessarily going to take a towel. Now you, now you easily can without compromising weight or performance. And I must admit, looking at the, the towels that were on display here, the large, which is probably something larger than I normally would take on a trip, uh, is only about 48 grams. So, it, you know, it's, a, it's, it's probably the half the size of a standard bath towel you'd probably expect to have at home. So, you know, from a, from a, a camping point of view, it's probably a real luxury to take something like this along. And given the size and the weight, uh, I really am looking forward to these coming out. Yeah, and they're really versatile as well. You can use it as a bath, um, you can use it as a dishcloth, obviously as a towel yeah use it if it's really dusty uh, sweat management at the gym uh, it's a really versatile little product okay now the last thing we're going to talk about is a new ultralight day pack now see to some that have had these packs before in the past the uh, ultrasil um, day packs uh, and they've been on the market for since well, about 10 years ago by the look of it uh, and they're wearing it in about 72 grams but there's a new one coming out called the ultrasil nano day pack uh, and it is in weight 30 grams. So this thing is the size of an egg. It is absolutely tiny for 30 grams. Uh, it weighs half half the amount of an egg. An egg weighs uh, 60 grams. So it is it is really really compact. Uh, but it fits when you've actually unrolled it. It's a, it's an 18 liter pack. So it, it fits just under the amount of the current Ultrasil Day Pack. A really nice handy lightweight um, pack. I've been using it myself for and it can fit. I've managed to fit an entire beach towel, a drink bottle, and, and some other bits and bobs to go down to the beach. Uh, really, really great. Comes in some really nice-looking colours. We've got this um, white TPU layer on the inside, which helps to really um, reflect out the colours of the bag. So it's not as translucent as the current Ultra Seal Day Pack, and just a really, really handy, handy lightweight pack. Now, certainly with this uh, pack, the towel, uh, the pillows, the sleeping bags and the new mat, we'll have photos of, of that uh, from the show stand up on the show notes in the next, uh, uh, in this coming episode. So it's, um, it really is some very exciting product, particularly those people that are looking for ultralight sort of stuff. And as I said, things like the, the nano day pack and the towel, they are tiny. They really are. You, you're just not going to notice those uh, weight-wise or size-wise in your pack. So. I think there's some excellent product coming out from Cedar Summit uh, and definitely looking forward to seeing it onto the market. So thanks very much for talking to us, Danny. Thanks. That was a reasonably long interview there with Cedar Summit. They just had so much new and exciting product coming onto the market. And it's looking at hitting the retail stores in around about March 2019. So we don't have a huge amount of time to wait. But it's it's just amazing as I said, you look at the photos, you get to touch and feel this stuff, and it's just it's just stunning uh, equipment. Uh, it's just going to be suitable for for so many uses and so many hikers just to throw in the pack and just not even notice it. So yeah, looking forward to some of this product coming online. 
Okay, I'm here with Roland Handel from Wild Magazine. Uh, Wild Magazine is one of those uh, publications that many uh, Australian hikers and outdoorists will know. Uh, and Roland has just taken over Wild Magazine roughly about 12 months ago. So I'll just get Roland to introduce himself and tell us a bit about Wild Magazine, what they are and, and where the direction of the magazine is heading. How are you going, Roland? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, yeah, look, I... Um was uh, fortunate enough to to take over Wild uh, exactly 12 months ago. Actually, I've um, uh, I have six uh, issues under my belt now. So every two months uh, the magazine comes comes out. So uh, every two months I'm extremely busy. Um, so Wild magazine really is a uh, an outdoor Australian outdoor adventure magazine. So we're certainly uh, pretty heavily focused on hiking or bushwalking, but we've we also try and have a good mix of uh, paddling, so both whitewater and flatwater paddling, uh, climbing, which is both rock climbing and mountaineering, um, and and probably m- most recently, which a lot of readers wouldn't uh, have seen before, is uh, is mountain biking, um, and a lot of that is uh, I guess multi-day or pack biking. Um, and then we've got a whole range of other, uh, I guess, outdoor adventurous type of activities. So caving, canyoning um, and, and those kind of other um, sort of out, outdoor adventure type of activities. So this has taken the focus, I suppose, um, you know, 12, 18 months ago, I suppose the focus really was the, the, the bushwalking and the hiking community. So it's, it's more taking the focus to a broader outdoor community, but still with that focus of, of um, packs in, in some respect there. Yeah, it's, it's actually really quite interesting. So, so you're right, we... Um, for many years in the past, in the more recent past, Wild had really become a, a, a bushwalking magazine or a pack hiking um, type of magazine. Um, and we have now extended that content with those other areas. But, but the interesting thing is if you go back to Wild in the very early days, so if I go back to you know the, the heyday in the, the 80s or the early 90s, a lot of those activities that we're now um, showcasing and talking about were in the magazine uh, way back then. So, so the magazine has, I guess, sort of evolved where it used to be very broad and then it became much more specialised and focused on that on that bushwalking, hiking space. Uh, and almost now we've, we've sort of gone full circle where we're, we're coming back and, and sort of broadening, uh, broadening that content again. And what's what's been the the reaction to um, you know, and I suppose it's, I suppose it's the situation whenever whenever a new owner comes into business, there's always changes. People people don't often like change. What's what's been the reaction to your readership on the, on the direction you're heading now? Yeah, look, uh, you're right. There's there's always some people that that always liked the magazine just the way it was, and that's why I made that previous comment because the magazine actually almost is back the way it once was. Uh, when we went through the change, so the magazine, uh, I guess, had a refresh in terms of its design, so it's sort of got a, a, a newer, I guess, more modern feel, I guess. Um, we've extend, extended the length of the magazine, so we've, we've probably increased by about about 30% in terms of the length. And, and look, I, I guess there were some readers that were a, a bit apprehensive, and you know, some had come back to me and said the magazine has kind of moved away from where it was. What I said to those readers is that we, we actually increased the length of the magazine. So we actually were adding in the new content rather than taking away the content. So we are still pretty heavily focused on that hiking, bushwalking space. Um, but we've added in a lot more of that, that new content. And overwhelmingly, uh, from our existing readers, it's, it's actually been really positive. So, we, so I've, I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of readers and a lot of readers who have been subscribers for a long time. Uh, again, they, you know, they, they often take pride in telling me what was the first issue and I I've been a subscriber since issue three or since issue five, so you know, well before my time. Uh, and and overwhelmingly, uh, those readers have have been positive in terms of the, where the where the magazine has gone. But on the other side, what we were always trying to do was to attract um, a new generation of, of outdoor people. So that's you know the, the, the new guys and girls that are getting out there and doing those outdoor things. And that's really we've really had a positive uh, response from those readers, people that. Um, 
hadn't picked up or seen the magazine before and once it's in hand and they're looking through and it's it's kind of been really positive in terms of you know that the editorial is a really high quality editorial we we're sort of got some really good imagery of some fantastic destinations around australia and, and overseas um and then that mix of editorial and then the educational the, the stuff that we've always had around buying guides and gear tests and track notes that's always kind of been a real mainstay of the magazine and, and i think that that's real inspiration uh, for people in terms of where to go and what to do and, and sort of the types of gear that, that we should be using. I must admit, I mean, for those people that don't know Wild, I mean, probably when I think about Wild magazine, I almost tend to think about National Geographic, that, that high-quality images, the high-quality editorial maga- uh, article magazine articles. And I think it's it's still retained that, even even though the, the scope has now been broadened back to what it used to be. Um, and, and certainly, you know, just looking at the magazines here on the, the, the front counter here is just that there's some spectacular imagery uh, you know and it's uh, sometimes you, you you sometimes the photos are really easy you know you stand on the side of a river other times you look at some of these rock climbing ones and thinking uh, I'd like to see where the person taking that photo is actually taking it from so yeah there's some, some very spectacular images and as, as I said the articles are really good so I think you've you've maintained probably what was the essence of the magazine is the quality of the, the imagery and the 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 journalism, yeah, uh, but yeah, and providing that a bit of extra as well. Yeah, and we, look, when I went through the, the design process, so as I said, twelve months ago, we had we had the old version again. People that have been reading Wild for many years uh, are probably will, will know that that magazine that it used to be. So when I when I went through the design process, I brought on a new design team. I actually they ne- they've never seen the old copy of the magazine, so they they had no visibility of what the magazine looked like. It was all around um, what do we want the magazine to be and what should the vision be. And then th- that that inspiration, again, you, you sort of reference National Geographic. I, I went out and subscribed or bought every ma- outdoor magazine that I could think of, and not just here in Australia, but also in New Zealand and and the US and Europe and. and and really, I, I mean, it's, I've still got the folder at home. I kind of went through each issue and picked out what do I, what's really good in that, what's really good in that issue, and what those guys do really well. And then I, I kind of brought it all together and picked all of those elements that I thought I liked really well. So if you go through the magazine now, the first, you know, uh, four or five pages is just just great photos, you know, really epic outdoor photo. And that came directly from that was directly from National Geographic. You know, if I think of looking through National Geographic. Graphic that those first few pages is just great images where you just look at and think, wow, that's just fantastic. Where is that taken? And and the photo itself tells that story. And so we've tried to do that same thing with Wild. Is is, is that is that component? And, and so there are elements of the magazine that I can look at now that I can that I can sort of reference and say, yeah, well, that's come from there or that's come from there. Part of it then, I guess, is is um, what did I want to see in the magazine? And then the other part is actually the design team. A really really good design team that again didn't have didn't have they didn't have any baggage or they didn't have wild to reference so it was um, and they didn't actually have those other magazines to look at either so it was it was their they taking my ideas and this is what I think is good and then them turning it into the design obviously it needs to be backed up with the content so um, the editorial needs to be in there and and look that the challenge the balance that we have at the moment is is you're right you reference that the cover photos that you're looking at and some of them are pretty epic cover photos and and the balance that we need to be is is not depicting images that are so inaccessible that no one can ever actually do it so we we sort of try and find that balance between really great stories and in every issue there probably is a story that that you're you're never going to do you'll read and go wow those guys are just crazy i can't believe anyone would actually do that but then we really try and mix that with with those outdoor adventures that everybody everyday people can do so we we sort of try and find that 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 balance in the magazine all right and what's what's the plan for the magazine over the next two three five years so the magazine i think will will the, the magazine in itself is is probably in a pretty good state now. We we, we always welcome feedback from readers, and we, we always get um, feedback, and we we sort of always read that. We have actually made tweaks to the magazine specifically on reader feedback. So, those of you out there who think that that no one ever actually uh, acknowledges or reads that feedback, it's just not true. I mean, we, we we do do 
do that. So, so the magazine is, is probably not going to change too much um, in the short term. Um, we're doing a lot more work, I guess, around the, the digital and online space. And that, so, so that online space is both, both our, our social community. Again, uh, I think many years ago, Wild had a real community feel about it. Uh, I think it, because it was the only outdoor magazine in the market and, and it was kind of really, really niche focused. So we'll, we'll try and rebuild that community and probably more through our, our, our social channels. And then from a digital perspective, we'll start to build that up. So again, we, we've got many, many years, 30 plus years of, of content available and some really good editorial and, and track notes and destination pieces that, that don't change. I mean, track notes are track notes. It's, yeah. The track yeah. is still there. So we're, we're going through a process now of, of how do we make that information available online, but in a way that is, is easily accessible. That The challenge um, of the web today is if you know exactly what you're looking for, you can go to a search engine and search it and, and find um, that content, but how do you make content content really accessible and, and easy for people to navigate and find. And, and that, that's the challenge that we'll have with, with how do we take 30 years, 100 and whatever it is, 160 uh, magazines of content and, and, and create that in a way that, that people can navigate and find and, and reference back to. All right, that's been good. So we've been talking to Roland Handel from Wild Magazine. And again, most of you who are, have been in the outdoors and the hiking community will be recognise it. If you're new to this activity, certainly go through and have a look at it in the newsagents or in the outdoor stores. Many of them will stock this magazine and it's well worth a read. So, uh, you know, it's something to inspire you to go through and have a look at and see what is available uh, both in Australia and overseas. So thanks so much for that, Roland. Good. Thanks, Tim. All right, we're here now talking to the distributors of Life Straw, and today we've got Rudy. Now, Life Straw is a product that is probably really well known for most of you who have been in, been hiking for a while. It's a water filtration system, uh, but it's uh, the the original Life Straw. Uh, that people may have known for quite a while. They've, they've now expanded their range and we've got quite a large uh, large range of options available. So what I'll do is I'll get Rudy to, to introduce himself and tell us a bit about LifeStraw and we'll talk about some of the newer product that's come online. So welcome to Australian Hiker, Rudy. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, my name's Rudy Fernandez and uh, I'm the LifeStraw product manager for uh, J.A. Davey, Australia. We're the distributors of LifeStraw in Australia and New Zealand. So uh, LifeStraw... Um, pretty much well-known product globally it's been around a while the original life straw itself was uh, developed approximately 20 years ago it was initiative um uh, initiated by Vestigard, Danish company, in conjunction with the UN and the Carter Foundation to develop a water filter that we use in Africa. And the focus was to eradicate guinea worm, uh, a nasty uh, parasite, causes uh, severe pain and uh, limits people in their daily life. And uh, it's a huge problem. It's virtually been eradicated uh, with the use and the introduction of the straw in Africa. Uh, from there, Vestigard uh, used that technology and developed a range of other personal water filters uh, to be sold in, uh, in the retail market um, and have developed various products so from the original straw to a bottle uh, to a two-stage filter now which has a carbon cartridge which uh, removes chlorine improves taste and moving forward they're looking at uh, um, improving the filtration capacity focusing on removing heavy metal lead and, and, and other pesticide or organic type chemicals so um, that's pretty much life straw okay and now you're saying that they've got two newer products that have coming onto the market now that's correct yes uh, launched this year there are two products are the uh, first product being the universal uh, universal being exactly that it's a very versatile product universal indicate meaning that it basically it's compatible with most leading bottles such as uh, Camelback, Clean Canteen, Nalgene, Hydroflask and other leading brands. So basically everyone has their preference. A lot of people have many water bottles sitting around the home in their car and have their own preferences. So what this allows you to do is upgrade or modify your existing water bottle and add a two-stage water filter to it. So depending on the climate, the environment you're in or where you're travelling to, uh, if you're travelling to some part of the world where water quality is an issue, you can modify it or basically just upgrade it using the universal adapter. 
um, and uh, yeah, allows you to drink water safely in uh, in all areas of the world. So it's a bit like the um, the the life straw uh, water bottle that came out about twelve to eighteen months ago. I think it was maybe even a couple of years ago. A couple of years yep. ago. Um, and so it's basically rather than just using the life straw bottle, it's allowing you to retrofit your existing bottles. That's correct. Retrofit your your existing bottle, but also utilising the new filter, uh, which is a new filter technology with just two stage. It utilises a carbon cartridge, activated carbon, which removes uh, chlorine and improves taste. Uh, and that is proving to be quite popular at the moment, uh, especially amongst sm- smaller independent stores. Uh, and you know, they see the value of uh, offering customers sort of uh, options and, and upgrading their existing water bottles. All right. Now, the second product we've got out, uh, what's, what's that about? Okay. The second product launched by LifeStraw this year is the Flex. So Flex indicating it's quite flexible, versatile as well. So it's supplied with a 650ml bladder. Uh, it's very compact. It can roll up into virtually the, you know, the size of uh, probably a small torch. Um, so it comes with a 650ml bladder and a shorter straw. Basically, the straw inserts into the bladder. Uh, you can use it as a standard water bottle. You can also squeeze the bladder and use uh, that, the uh, filtered water in, in a kettle or a billy or a cup, make a cup of tea, etc. Also, removing the straw itself or the actual core filter, you can use it as a standalone straw. You can sip directly out of a stream if you like. The other um, feature of the Flex is at one end it has a standard thread that can attach to any sort of retail type uh, Mount Franklin or equivalent type water bottle you may find in a store. So the idea of that is um, when travelling overseas you could go to a 7-Eleven or something like that anywhere in the world purchase a bottle and reuse it and virtually have your own water bottle with you worst case scenario if you're stranded somewhere you probably find a plastic bottle in a gutter somewhere even and just rinse it out and use it if you're quite if you you know if you it's if you're that desperate uh, the other option is to use the actual filter cartridge as an inline filter so if you have a camelback or equivalent uh, with a hydration bladder and perhaps you're drinking sort of from a suspect water source tank water or something similar you can uh, use the uh, the filter cartridge and use it as an inline filter, and uh, yeah. Now looking at the top of that, it's got a um, one of the, those those nipples you tend to sort of pull the little cap up and then suck out of. That's right. That, but you can also, by the look of it, drink straight out of the bottle as well without without that nipple as, as well. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you can do that. Also, uh, LifeStraw are actually releasing in the next few months a an additional mouthpiece adapter. Uh, so to make things a little bit more ergonomic and comfortable and make it more into a, a drinking comfortable drinking straw. So that should be available hopefully in the next few months. Okay, so both these new products, the, um, the, the, the product for the water bottle adapter and the, uh, the, the new little bladder bottle, are they available now or they're just about to become onto the market? No, they are available. They're available through most leading retailers and also independents. Uh, generally, they're available through the uh, majors such as Anaconda Rays, BCF, Tent City, uh, Aussie Disposals and other independents. Okay. All right, so is there anything else you'd do, uh, any final words you'd like to, to, to talk about on the, the life straw product that we, yeah. we should need to know? Yeah, I think so. The other thing also about the ethos of the company itself, Vestigard, um, they are basically a for-profit type organisation. So they actually invest a lot of the uh, sales revenue, their, their, their profit back into their core programs. They actually have a program called Follow the Leaders and what they aim to do is provide safe drinking water to communities and school children in Africa. And I think this year they achieved the target of a million students. Uh, children in Africa now have access to clean water so it's a it's a great great um, um, I guess program they're running uh, and that's really their core focus is to uh, provide clean safe water to needy people throughout the world and um, as consumers yes we uh, we buy the product but uh, it's good to know that a percentage of the sales goes back into uh, into their program and uh, basically supports the needy people out in uh, predominantly third world all right that's good 
So we've been talking to Rudy from JA Davy, who are the distributors for Life Straw. And as I said, this is a product that most people who are into hiking and, and outdoor activities will know. And here, uh, as we've been talking specifically today about a couple of the newer products uh, on the market, so it's well worth looking at. And I'll have some photos of that uh, up on the uh, the show notes for this website uh, for this podcast. And hopefully, in the next few months, we'll be doing a review of them as well. So thanks very much, that Rudy. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Okay, it's uh, Monday afternoon. I'm here at the Sydney Outdoor Retailer Show and I'm talking to John Pote from Wilderness Wear, a manufacturer and distributor of outdoor apparel. So thank you for talking to us, John. No problem. All right, so what does Wilderness Wear do? Wilderness Wear are an Australian manufacturer of outdoor clothing. Uh, We have been manufacturing for 30 years. Um, We may use premium inputs uh, to make premium quality product for the outdoors. And what's what's the the main thing that people would actually know you for? Probably our socks. Uh, We've... I think yeah, the, the sock that they would know the most would be our merino fleece, and last year we knitted our millionth pair. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, you, uh, where, where do you actually find wilderness wear apparel? Is it, you know, is it online or is it in stores? Or We have a wide distribution network with uh, 350 independent retailers around the country, uh, and it's also available online. All right. Now, uh, I noticed that I came through the stand this morning and one of the things I see on a lot of the products and a lot of the signage is Wilderness Wear, 200% Australian owned or 200% Australian. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, there's lots of companies that are Australian owned, uh, but they'll be sourcing their products offshore where we're sort of one of the only ones left that manufacture locally. So 100% owned and 100% made. Okay. Uh, and you're saying the Merino wool's also local as well? Yes, uh, four years ago we uh, there was lots of suppliers of wool yarn in Australia, um, but manufacturing there's less manufacturers, uh, so less supplies of the raw materials. One being wool, uh, so we were forced to look where we were sourcing that raw material from um, and we we found the Tasmanian wool had the the local content um, natural we, we think it's the best wool uh, so over the last three, three and a half years we've sourced 40 tonnes of our raw material wool from the Tassie wool growers. I must admit having a, having a feel and the touch of them, the actual product itself, the, particularly the, 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 um, the long john types and the um, and the, the tops, that's a very soft feel sort of material. Because I know sometimes when you when people, I suppose the old thing with wool from 20, 30 years ago, it was really scratchy and uncomfortable. That that seems to have long gone now. But some of the wool product on the market feels okay, but it's not really that soft and luxurious. Whereas this this product you seem to sell seems to have that really nice feel to it. Well, look, it does. Um, there's wool and there's wool, um, so we think we use the best wool. Uh, so. With with wool, you can have short staple fibre as opposed to long staple fibre. So all those little ends, when it's spun, will cause agitation, um, and the stability of the garment won't, or the sock won't be as good because of that short staple fibre. Um, there's woolen spun and there's worsted spun. Woolen spun is a cheaper processing when it's scoured and spun into yarn. Um, worsted spun. It's a longer process, more expensive, but you'll get a stronger staple fibre. Then there's the vegetable matter. Um, you know, the, the more expensive that raw material, the, the sheep, the, it's in the processing and the combing, um, it takes out that vegetable matter. So cheaper inputs, you're, you're going to get that itchiness, um, even though it says 100%, well, it will be 100% wool, but it's yep. not a premium wool. I must admit, I just have visions of my, my jumpers that my mother used to knit for me sort of 40 odd years ago, and then it was like you couldn't, you couldn't wear them without something underneath. They were so scratchy and itchy, but I must admit the woolen product, and again, particularly yours, just fit, has that really comfortable sort of feel. So, look, it, it does, and that, and that's where you know the old the old school woolen jumpers they 
Australia would have had a micron count, you know, north of 27 micron, uh, where now you can go down to the, you know, 14 micron, the super fine. Um, so a luxurious silk-like feel. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's a, a lot of people say, well, I can buy this wool product over here and this wool product here and this one's cheaper. So, And, and looking at price, price is not necessarily what you need to be looking for. It's like, well, is it what's the value for money prospect? And I think, and I think getting, you know, you are going to pay more for a, a higher quality, better feeling product, but you're going to be a lot more comfortable there. And it will last longer. Um, you know, it's false economy buying cheap because you'll be buying twice. Yeah, yeah, no, it's without a doubt. All right, so you're saying socks tend to be your, your main sellers, uh, and you seem to have quite a few varieties of socks by the look of it, or is it just lots of the different ones I'm seeing on the stand? No, uh, look, it's it's with the the, the knitting machinery has changed. Uh, there's machinery that will have more needles, can knit finer socks. Um, the, the, the processing of the yarn, you can go to, you know, finer yarns. And, and the traditional bushwalking sock was thick and heavy um, where now you know lightness packing down you know the ultralight movement is in bushwalking is huge uh, so every gram counts um, so we, we've we've changed the design of our socks looking at uh, not having full terry cushioning all the way through the leg just underfoot where it's needed um, ventilation panels um, and also the height of the sock has changed from the traditional three-quarter length over the calf to more below the belly of the calf muscle so you've got no tightness and the sock doesn't fall down so it's that half height quarter height where you'll see you know from outdoor socks to fashion socks sort of I, moving to i must admit i um it's it's pretty rare that i'll i, I, I can't remember the last time i wore a full length sock and even a, a full length crew sock is pretty rare as well it's only if it's, if it's very cold conditions or uh, i know there's a lot of ticks in the area yes uh, but otherwise it tends to be the the three-quarter crew or the or the, or the mini crews um yeah i uh, for me my my issue with socks is not keeping warm uh it's more keeping the cushioning under the foot. So, yes. uh, and I know everyone's different here. I know some people, my wife in particular, she likes a fairly thick, heavy sort of sock. She feels the cold. So um, I'm sure there's there's horses for courses with people with the way they choose their socks. Yes, and you have to offer a range. And once you extrapolate it out with colours and sizes, that's why you see a lot of socks in the range. All right. Now, the other thing um, you had on your stand as well is um, woolen garments, so tops and what look like long johns. Uh, yes. Uh, so tell us a bit about those. All right, well, we we offer a, a, a diverse range of um, base layers slash active wear, uh, which is a, a, a huge... So thermal underwear has changed. So you will have... So it's almost, instead of underwear, it's outerwear now. Um, and there's brands that will, you know, it's the, the cafe set that the wannabe athletes that will wear the, the tights, um, leggings. Um, so we, we tend to, you know, we, we don't use the polyesters, we do all natural fibres um, for a lot of our range where it's 100% super fine merino in four different weights from a hyper lightweight 150 GSM through to 260 GSM for the, the colder conditions uh, for, or for individuals who feel the cold. Um, but then we have another new fabric we've developed, a hybrid where it's 50% polypropylene and 50% superfine merino. So we, we look at the best man-made fibre married with the best natural fibre. So you are getting a, a highly functional fabric that's uh, lightweight, quick dry. So is that is the polypropylene giving you the quick drying process, or is it, what's the what's the reason for for marrying the two apart from what's what's what? fabric is doing what right what okay well mix? well m- merino or wool wool yarn it's inherent 12 percent moisture so it, it has a moisture component to it you're getting the thermal properties from the wool yarn but it does take longer to dry the polypropylene it's the it's a man-made fiber it's the only fiber that has a specific weight less than one so if you were to put that fiber in a bucket of water it will float polyester will sink uh, nylon will sink so it, it has it's it's the it's hydrophobic hates water so when you marry the two together you get the thermal properties and the quick dry 
What, what about the smell on the product? Because I know one of the, one of the big pluses for, for 100% merino or pretty much straight merino is that they don't tend to smell as much if you're wearing them for a number of weeks. Yeah, um, look, true, true. And that's where we in, we had supplied the Australian Defence Force with polypropylene thermals many years ago, um, but then they found with um, they were getting a lot of injuries uh, or sort of the melting of the polypropylene in, in you know, grenade blasts and um, so they changed to to 100% merino wool where it's a, a natural property of wool is keratin which is naturally fire retardant um, and it's naturally antimicrobial <coughs> polypropylene yes did have a stink factor to it like the the old smelly hellies um, but we found with the, the marriage of two with with our wear test reports and multi-day wear without washing um, the smell factor is not a problem okay, with, with the combination of the two yarns. No, that's good. I'm, I can remember wearing, the last time I wore polypropylene, straight polypropylene clothing was probably in 2006 and yeah, it smells pretty bad after a couple of days, yes. whereas the, the merino or the merino blend seems to, well I, I certainly can't notice the smell, my wife does, but uh, I certainly can't notice it. So. Yes, you, you become a lone individual around the campfire. <laughs> Um, so where where to for wilderness wear in the um, in the coming year or two? Is you know have you got new product range coming out that you're able to talk about, or what, what's the what's the future for you? Oh look, we're, we're always product developing. Um, the success we've, we've had with the merino fusion hybrid uh, will transition that into a sock range, um, and also look at a a two faced uh, merino fusion garment where next to skim will be polypropylene and the outer layer will be merino. So you're saying it it, it just enhances the whole uh, wicking rapid dry thermal. So if you the product it might be wet on the outside, but it's drying. It's relatively dry on the inside. Correct. Correct. Okay, that's good. All right. So we've been talking to John Pote from Wilderness Wear, um, and as per usual, we'll go through and put some links up on the uh, the show notes uh, and um, some photos of the stand and the product for those of you that aren't familiar with this. Although it's uh, it's starting to become more and more well known within the Australian market. As John said, it's been around for quite a few years, but it seems to be a product that's gaining more more impetus into the hiking market, uh, the retail hiking market. So um, we're hoping to be reviewing some of the product in the upcoming months, so look forward to that. Thanks very much, John. Thanks. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed that series of interviews. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity, please go to our show notes and have a look at the photos and images. They'll pro- probably provide a, a bit more sense of some of the stuff we were talking to. One of the things, as I've said through this um, this podcast episode, is I'm just stunned at the amount of new product that's coming online over the next 12 months. Uh, and there's product that I either haven't used in the past for, from personal choice or wasn't even aware that it existed. Uh, and I, I certainly, as, a, as this, this product starts coming onto the market, uh, I'll certainly be adding it, uh, at least some of it, to my hiking kit. It really is amazing. Uh, we'll go through and put uh, the series of interviews or a list of the interviews that we'll be conducting in next week's episode, episode 70. So if you want to see what's coming up in next week's episode, again, go through and have a look at the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. As always, you can listen to this episode through our website at Australian Hiker, through SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. And if you have an opportunity, please go through and give us a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. We hope you've enjoyed. That's all from me. Bye from now.